You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz is here with me. We are talking Michigan's 49 to nothing win over Michigan State. It is the Wolverines' most lopsided win in the rivalry since 1947. Just an impressive victory across the board. I mean, if we really, you know, sometimes we get into the X's and O's and like what worked, what didn't work. Everything worked, right? They won 49 to nothing. I mean, you know, there's maybe some nitpicks here and there you could have. But but at the end of the day, uh, it was just an I would say it's Michigan's most impressive win of the season. It was their most lopsided. But, you know, thinking about the being on the road, facing a rival, you know, there's some emotion. And then just like the the level of play, it just felt like they were making plays that a lot of teams in college football don't make, whether it was J.J. McCarthy under pressure, some of the catches that were made near the end zone, thinking about the defensive, the pass breakups or the tackles for loss, the block destruction, ball disruption, all the things that that defense focuses on. So we'll talk about some of the, the not big picture, but the medium picture stuff, some of the takeaways that, that mean more than just beyond this game, because what a beat down for the Wolverines, who are the only 8-0 team in the country. They lead the country by in scoring margin by a whopping five points per game. Penn State is second at 30. Michigan's average scoring margin, 34.8. So an average game, it's a five-touchdown victory. Number one scoring defense. Number one in a lot of different categories. Penalties, red zone defense. Suddenly, even like things like third downs, it just seems like they're they're really clicking on all cylinders. But I think the the biggest takeaway for me coming out of this game other than Michigan continues to look really good is I I really do think the JJ McCarthy Heisman trophy talk has it's probably already started but I think now it really he really is absolutely firmly in the mix anyone who isn't including him in their top three or four probably has some weird bone to pick with Michigan or JJ McCarthy himself I mean it's just he's been as impressive of a quarterback as, as anyone in the country, Jaden Daniels for, for LSU has put up great stats. Michael Penix Jr. from Washington has put up great stats. And Washington's still undefeated. So I feel like it's McCarthy and Penix are kind of the top two guys right now. But I feel like every time J.J. McCarthy takes the field, he looks more impressive. And I felt like on, on Saturday, it felt like he, he continued to look even better and better at the what he calls the scrambled egg plays, which is essentially when he has to leave the pocket or things go off schedule. So so receivers or tight ends have to break their routes. The offensive linemen have to move around and make blocks that they weren't initially assigned to make. And McCarthy has to move out either out of the pocket or, or just create some time, create some space, man, the way he was just, it was almost like what a, what we all wish we could do in a video game, like in Madden, right? You create some space and then find the guy on third and 15, 16 yards downfield and he makes a contested catch or you wire the throw in between three different defenders for a touchdown. I mean, it was, it was really impressive to watch, especially that first half. I mean, I, I don't think he cooled off in the second half, but Michigan's offense kind of did really impressive. His final stat line, 21 for 27, what 287 yards, four touchdowns. And I, I had a column last week about how, Jim Harbaugh is saying that J.J. McCarthy has a chance to be Michigan's best quarterback in history. He's absolutely right, by the way. I mean, you can break it down however you want. Statistically, he's on track to have the best season in Michigan football history by a really sizable margin, too, by the way. Uh, Be sure to check out that story over at themichiganinsider.com if you haven't. But the numbers are pretty staggering, and he he only added to that. The winning, he's now 20-1 and as a starting quarterback. I mean, those are... Michigan fans, fan fiction, couldn't draw up a, a start. Of, I mean, maybe a national championship in year one, I guess. That's the one thing. But, man, 20-1, and one, 
impressive and and he just keeps continuing to look better and better in terms of athleticism in terms of his passing ability there's a lot of reasons Michigan is eight no I imagine they could be eight no even if JJ McCarthy hadn't been doing all this but but in terms of moving forward the push for a 15 and 0 or 14 and 1 or winning a national championship JJ McCarthy has played as good as any quarterback in the country. And that's going to give Michigan a very good shot at all of its team goals later on this season. Steve, your thoughts on JJ McCarthy's game and, and what we're seeing from his season so far. So he actually is the right now there's a Vegas line. He is technically the favorite in the Heisman race right now. Penix second. I don't know a ton about betting. Is that just because Michigan fans are starting to put all their chips in on that? Could be, but then I started to look down the list and it's like, you know, LSU has what two losses, three losses? Like they have a couple LSU losses. LSU has two. USC has two. Yep. Right. So I was kind of like, you start to kind of like the other, the one guy I kind of wondered, and I haven't looked at his statistical output lately, is I thought Jordan Travis would be a little bit higher on the. I think he's like fifth, you know, because Florida State's still undefeated. Bo Nix still in there. You know, Oregon only has the one loss. Uh, but at this point, pretty yeah, impressive I mean, year in terms of a multitude of really good quarterbacks. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I think we talked about going into this game was like, my thought was this would be the game where McCarthy would enter the conversation. I, I said, I didn't, wasn't sure I'd consider him the favorite just because they have not played like a, what we would consider a high level opponent yet, but that he would put himself in the mix. If, I guess that mission accomplished in that regard. It's just kind of interesting to see, you know, even honestly, like Penix didn't have a good game yesterday at all. Two intercept, no touchdowns, two interceptions. Washington, barely yeah. Well, everyone was sleeping. By. Washington barely skated by. Was fifteen to seven against Arizona yeah. State. Yeah. So, gotta think Caleb Williams is out after another loss for SC. And we talked about it. Just don't feel like they they. I think they'd prefer to give it to somebody who hadn't won it before. Whether however you feel about That's that true. logic, if um, he. If USC figures it out, hypothetically, beats Washington, beats Oregon, wins the Pac-12, and he's continuing his stats, I feel like he might have a chance. Sure. But there's so many other candidates. Last year, it did feel like once Corum got injured and C.J. Stroud, he didn't look bad against Michigan, but I think that hurt his narrative a little bit. Right. I, I do think it, Caleb Williams, he, as good as he is, very impressive football player, but I, I kind of wonder if he backed in just a little bit because it felt like do you think if quorum stayed healthy last year you think he wins it yeah i do i yeah, do when i see what, when i see what donovan edwards did against ohio state like if you just do the, the sure ohio state games and give those numbers to quorum he's sure. winning that almost yeah unanimously. yeah that's true that's a good point but as far as jj goes i it's I wrote this this morning. It's to the point now when he's able to maneuver his way out of the pocket. And let, if they're within like the 30 yard line and he's able to get out of the pocket and move to his right, I almost just assume it's going to be a touchdown. Like, you know, he's been doing that for a while. He just, I still feel like he continues to develop that sixth sense. I thought he was better at getting out of the pocket. Like he's always been good at getting out of the pocket, but like he made a couple plays yesterday of, of maneuvering his way in and out. Uh, that were incredibly impressive. The one was where he ran for the first down. You know, that was a good escape job. And then the touchdown to Wilson was another one. You know, it's like, but yeah, every time he is able to get out free and and they're within like, a, I guess what you'd say, like touchdown distance, it just feels like they're that he's going to throw a touchdown. The other thing too, I just, two absolutely pro throws Again, I thought the one to Barner over his left or over his right shoulder where the uh, state defender was cutting across. That was an amazing throw. I think that was in the first, might have been the first quarter, actually. And then the second touchdown to Loveland was, I mean, I remember, I think even remember Todd Blackledge, even like while the play was going, was like, it said, did let out like an audible, like, wow, you know, as the ball was hitting Loveland in the hands. I mean, it was just an amazing throw. So, yeah, we're starting to see what Michigan can be with an elite quarterback. You know, I what the one thing that I started, kind of start to wonder, and we're talking about a guy that, you know, you just talked about, Harbaugh talked about, could end up being one of the best, if not the best quarterback that Michigan's ever had, is you just, looking back, it kind of felt like the one thing that may have held Michigan back a couple different seasons under Jim Harbaugh, right? We've seen how dominant 
they've been defensively in different in different seasons. They've had great offensive players over the years. Just and they've had good quarterbacks, but not anything. And not saying like that guy even at McCarthy, but even something close to what McCarthy's been. I just you just kind of wonder what, how much more success Michigan could could have even had under Harbaugh, uh, and maybe in the earlier years. So. Yeah, I, he definitely belongs in the Heisman conversation. Again, yeah, November always – I mean, November is what matters the most in this race, regardless if Michigan had played a couple good teams, a couple, like, elite teams at this point. It, it's the still a long road to get there, but he's doing all the right things. And what's nice to see him starting to get a little bit more recognition because, yeah, Michigan has not had to drop back and throw the ball 45 times. Like some of the – you know, we talk about, like, Jaden Daniels, some of these other guys up near the Heisman. He still has list. four – Fourth quarter passing attempts. Yeah. Just four. Like you want, yeah. Like this, and, and it's people are starting to respect just the absolute efficiency that he's showing at quarterback. And, uh, you know, it's just good to see that because I get tired of seeing these lists, like, you know, these, these like best quarterback performances on Saturday. And it's always just like dudes that threw the ball like 50 times. And it's like, man, like, what difference does it make? It's not. It, it, why why not just say the 10 guys who threw for the most yards yesterday, you know, like type thing, you know? So yeah, again, can't really say enough about his performance. You know, Michigan just has to ride him all the way and, and they can, you know, it's just really hard to imagine Michigan. I don't know if you caught any of the Ohio state Penn state game. My biggest takeaway again was yeah. I, I, just, I just don't see right now. I just do. And again, I know Michigan has not played top level yet, but I just don't see either of those teams being able to hang with Michigan for four quarters right no. now, the way things stand. I, I'm sorry. I, it's, it is ludicrous that anybody would vote Ohio State the number one team in the country right now. I mean, neither of those teams yesterday were able to run the ball at all and were afraid to run the ball in multiple short yardage situations. I don't know. It's it's. In, I get it. They've won. They've beaten Notre Dame and Penn State. Maybe there's those people out there that put – they vote number one because they've played a bit of a tougher schedule or not a bit. They've played a legitimately tougher schedule than Michigan has mm-hmm. thus yeah. far. Let's call it what it is. But, you know, I don't know. I mean, because Penn State put up another stinker, in my opinion, yesterday, especially offen- offensively, not defensively, but offensively, they put up an absolute stinker yesterday. Yeah, I guess my thought real quick was I, I felt like Ohio State looked like it, a team that could figure it out because I know sure. they had some players injured, and, but there were like moments, right? There were moments where like, oh yeah, I see, I see the, I see the playoff push, I see the uh, capability. Penn State, they didn't look like they were anywhere close. Well, didn't we playoff? Didn't caliber. we talk a couple weeks ago about their lack of a explosive playability? They basically play a ten yard. You know, no downfield threat. I think they threw and they one couldn't pass. do the the easy plays. Right, right. I, yeah, I agree. No, I, I just Weird. they were they for for again another situation where they got so much hype. And again, I think their defense is very good. I actually think their defense is might be better than Ohio State's. I don't think Ohio, oh the way that that game played out yesterday did not convince it to me. It's, Ohio State's got a really good defense, but that to me was as much Penn State stinking offensively. Uh, Again, not to knock any individual players, but like they keep talking about Fashanu, like he's like some generational like tackle talent. They're talking like top three pick, and and he did not have a good game at all yesterday. And I just guess I haven't seen it from them up front on either side of the ball when it matters. Get a couple great edge players, but I still think they're they're not that great in the interior. Abdul Carter's a stud at linebacker for them, but anyway, no tangent. But yeah, it's just like you know. I just think Michigan, I just hard to say that they're not far and away the best team in the Big Ten. And to kind of tie it all in, I think McCarthy's the biggest reason why. I think he's the best quarterback in the conference by a decent margin right now. And that's why that's the biggest reason why I'd put Michigan, you know, I think there's a decent there's a decent gap between one and two right now, in my opinion. The numbers tend to back that up. So in terms of his his I guess the common stats, he is number one one nationally in QBR he's number one in pro football focus grade he's number two in NFL passer rating he's number two in passer efficiency rating he's number two in completion percentage he's number two in yards per attempt and by the way he would shatter those last three numbers those are pretty those have been tracked pretty commonly throughout most of Michigan's history he would shatter the program records in all three if the season ended today so it might not he might not stay quite as statistically high up just because November 
they're playing Penn State, they're playing Ohio State, right? Presumably play a pretty good team in the in the postseason. But yeah, he's he's just phenomenal. He's the number one quarterback by a mile in third down passer rating. He's up there. I think he's top, I think he's fifth in passer rating when under pressure. He is top 10 in passer rating in the red zone. I mean, it's just, he has really figured it out. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of like, like the Andrew Luck development under Harbaugh, where I think, I think they just, they, they get each other. They click. I think he, he understands the work that needs to go in to get better. Cause I feel like he's better than he was three weeks ago and he's better than he was six weeks ago. And he's significantly better than he was a season ago. And he wasn't that bad a season ago. He was quite good. But I think I think he just really has that uh, that it factor. And it's it's been pretty well documented, right? There's him and Jim Harbaugh are, are similar. I think they think similarly. They're they have a similar competitive fire. McCarthy's a former hockey player, you know, so he's also not afraid to be a grinder as well, both in games and in the weight room and in training. So uh yeah, Michigan. I mean, I'd say they're lucky to have him, but also, you know, that was a, a great recruitment, great development. I think every step of the way they've they've done their part, too. So, yeah, great match for Michigan. And that's that that changes it from Michigan can win the Big Ten to Michigan can win the national championship to me. There's also lots of other standouts on offense. I think that the two biggest ones to me, A.J. Barner, Colston Loveland and and Colston Loveland's quietly putting together a all big 10 caliber season. If you look at the stats, I mean, he's top 10 in a number of tight end stats nationally. Uh, First in passer rating when thrown to second in yards per route run in terms of the more traditional stats. He's fourth nationally in tight end receiving yards, fourth nationally in tight end touchdowns, uh, 11th in catches, eighth in first downs. And then Barner, he hasn't been as prolific as a receiver but I feel like he showed quite a bit on Saturday, you know, the, the quality of the catches he was making. Because it's one thing if you're scampering wide open 15 yards downfield. I mean, I'm not saying that getting open isn't impressive, but the way he was able to take catch those passes when he knew he was about to get hit or someone's kind of bumping into him until that ball's in the air or, you know, just being able to to create the late separation, not just... Michigan State blew a coverage like like he was able to create the separation even when they when they were covering him. Uh, he had eight catches on nine targets, 99 yards and a touchdown. Colson Loveland had four catches on four targets, 79 yards and two touchdowns. He, ha- he now has four in Michigan's last three games. And Steve, I you you and I, I think, do a pretty good job. I mean, we had a full episode dedicated to the tight end preview. So I don't think we are people that overlook the tight end room. But it did feel like Saturday was a little bit of a maybe put put the rest of the the four remaining defenses in the Big Ten that Michigan's going to face kind of on notice because been a lot of talk about Roman Wilson. Everyone knows Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. I feel like the tight ends. I mean, Loveland's had some some great moments, but it, it did feel like Saturday was a little bit of like a, a breakout party for for the tight ends. And and now, I mean, if I'm an opposing defensive coordinator, it's like. Oh, they can do that too? Come on. Like, like, you know, you kind of almost have to go back to the drawing board a little bit because, yeah, there is a little bit of that element of of pick your poison. That's something I know Michigan's offense takes a lot of pride in. They talk about it a lot in press conferences, but to show it on the field. And and I think I mentioned before in the in the Michigan State preview, like this would be a game where Colson Loveland or or some of those tight ends or running backs could, could have a breakout game. And uh, it turned out the tight ends – saw that too and and really rose to the occasion just very impressive and and you know AJ Barner kind of talked about it last night he's like we have so many different pass catchers and playmakers on this team you know you don't know when it's going to be your turn but but you got to be ready when it is and and he sure was he really was that's why it's nice to see Barner get some because he's been really good for them the last few weeks in particular right I mean we talk about he's the top number one run blocking tight end in the country per pro right? football focus it really showed his metal I, I probably I'm trying to evoke the way Harbaugh would say it I guess uh showed his metal as a receiver yesterday you know, quitted himself well is the phrase is that is that what he said last night <laughs> well that's that's just like one of the hard yeah, yeah no so not saying it was like surprise just didn't know he had that. Like, I don't know if he really did that at Indiana. I think yesterday was a career game 
for him from a receiving standpoint. Correct. Uh, yep. Right. Yeah. I mean, I know they asked McCarthy right away in the presser if that was like part of the game plan was to to highlight the tight ends. I kind of wonder if it was just something where that when they got out there, they're like, we have a huge mat. Like, there's a they cannot match up with these guys at all. We're just going to keep feeding them the ball. And uh, I like to think they listened to the podcast where I pointed out how bad but, Michigan State's safeties and linebackers, linebackers were in coverage. Were. Yeah, that's probably it. Yeah, no, but just a great, I mean, like you said, another feather in the cap offensively, right? I mean, I still am not, I don't know, if, still not convinced. I just really don't think that they're showing much in the running game. Like, I just don't think they're really showing their hand at all. Uh, they don't need to, right? I, it's just they've been able to throw the ball when they need to throw the ball. You know, I, I don't think it's a situation where all of a sudden the offensive line are elite pass blockers across the board, but they're now starting to struggle run blocking. I just think I just get the sense that Michigan's running some very generic stuff as far as the running game goes, or, or either like a mix of like the generic and then just trying like they did a couple of those pitches, those front those push pitches to the outside yesterday. I don't think we'd seen them do that as much as they did yesterday. I just feel like they'll have a lot more up their sleeve as far as the running game goes as the season progresses. So. Yeah, props to A.J. Barner. Like, great game for him yesterday and gives them, yeah, another potential receiving threat Penn State-Ohio State approach. So you you did kind of touch on the run game, and maybe this is that is your question, but I, I'm curious. They have a bye week. They have a couple weeks, and then we've talked pretty much since January that the schedule is going to be kind of defined by November. Ohio State, Penn State, even the road trip to Maryland. I mean, I know Maryland has – they're doing the typical Maryland – thing where they look like world beaters in September and then I don't know if it's injuries or what but it it does seem they've had a tough couple weeks we'll see what they look like when that matchup comes but but in terms of Michigan what is your biggest question mark and question mark doesn't have to be a bad thing it's not a weakness that they need to fix it could be just something that you're curious about or you're you're intrigued by but what is your biggest question mark about this offense heading into this bye week that if you were Michigan's coaches you are maybe exploring it because you're still focused on the future game plans, but you do kind of have a, a lot of coaches like to call them improvement week. Cause instead of focusing on a game plan, you're, you're maybe taking a look at underclassmen or trying some plays that you just didn't quite have time to try in practices recently, or, or what are you trying to either work on or figure out this bye week If you're Michigan's offensive coaches. Uh, so I had a couple things I was thinking about even during last night's game. One is once Mullings, like provided Mullings is back to 100% health for Purdue and as solid as he's looked running the football, I just really think Michigan needs to have Edwards and Corm on the field at the same time a little bit more. You can put Edwards in the slot. Like there's just, you know, again, we've talked about the different ways that they're capable of using him. I just, I think that's something to kind of keep an eye out for or something to talk about. And then the other thing was, is it looks like Alex Orgy is healthy. I'm curious if Michigan may utilize him in some different short yardage type situations uh, going forward as well. I mean, good luck bringing that dude down, whether it's under center or if he's got a head of steam out of the pistol or the shotgun, just, just a, he's just a, such a unique piece that uh, we know Michigan likes him. We know they're high. We know Harbaugh likes him is, is very high on his athletic abilities in particular for a guy, his size, just, and again, maybe not, maybe they don't even need to do that. I just, you know, you talk about giving teams as many looks as possible that they have to account for. I just think he could potentially add another dimension in that regard. So I think, I think to me, those are the two biggest things. So sort of like maybe get Edwards and Corm on the field, a little bit more often together and then slash like tweak how you're using Edwards a little bit. I'm not saying not don't continue to give him the football and out of the backfield as a back, but just, I just wonder if he's, I I don't know. There's, I just think there's still more there. And I just wonder if Michigan just hasn't totally utilized him properly yet, or if, or if he just hasn't quite had the season we thought he was going to have. So, and then, yeah, orgy, I just think mixing that. And I mean, you imagine like a, orgy mullings like jumbo package you know would be very tough for teams to stop what if after all the, i mean obviously i don't think they will just because jj there there is some benefit to having a heisman caliber quarterback right. but like but like they could just like run a purdue or maryland into the ground just with like 
option, ground and pound. Yeah, you have Orgy, you have Mullings, you have Benjamin Hall, you have Blake Corum, you have Donovan Edwards. I mean, yeah, it, it does feel like they could. It, it's def, it definitely caught my attention. And, and you know, I know people kind of made their jokes like, oh, Michigan was, was hungry for that seventh touchdown because they scored with eight seconds to go. I mean, you, you, I think you could make an argument. I would buy it that they really did want to get Alex Orgy some snaps because he'd only played two all season because of injury and everything. So I think there actually was some value as silly as it seems as much as it felt like Michigan might've been attempting to run up the score a little bit. You know, I think there is Michigan firmly believes that there is something that there is a package with Alex Orgy that can help them win a, a, key football game he's he's their best athlete according to their they do like they have like what 30 some metrics uh, athletic metrics you know different drills or the key performance indicators are what they call them and he's the number one overall athlete on michigan's team so feel yeah that's definitely an intrigue i you kind of touched on it i think it really if i'm michigan's offensive coaches it's it's just trying to make sure find out what the disconnect is because the coaches seem pretty confident in Donovan Edwards ability in practice and players do too. He himself is, remains pretty confident as well. It just has not been there in games. I mean, it's, it's not even like a little bit of a struggle. I mean, of, of the, I don't know, 150 or so running backs who have at least 60 carries this season. He has 66. He's pretty close to the bottom and run in yards per carry yards after contact per carry broken tackles. Uh, runs of 10 plus yards. I mean, just all the, even, even though he was a little bit of a home run back last season, I mean, even the stuff that he, he was able to do last season, is just not there. So I don't know if, I don't know what the solution is where, you know, that's, that's where Michigan having closed practices and you know, that's, that's where we don't know what it looks like in practice first games. But if there is a disconnect, you do want to know what that disconnect is and you want to know, okay, is it, are we as coaches calling the wrong plays? Are teams, do they kind of just know the Donovan Edwards playbook? Does he need to get put in different situations? Because it's it's all worked. At, he's been great as a receiver. Uh, been one of the better running backs in the country in terms of catching passes. But yeah, it just, it does seem like there's a disconnect between the confidence and belief in him, not just recently, but all all year versus what he's been able to produce in game. So that's, that's probably the big question. Not a ton else. I mean, yeah, I can't really think of anything. I just, just ran through all the position groups. It feels like <laughs> everything else there's been promising moment. I mean, you know, there's little things to improve, but there's nothing that I, maybe the one other player I'm intrigued by, maybe similar to, to the Alex orgy Samaj Morgan feels like every time he touches the ball, yep, yep. he makes something happen. So can I add something yeah, he, real quick? You mentioned yeah. Ben Hall earlier. If, if, any, if anybody goes back and watches the the last touchdown, he absolutely buries his defender uh, blocking-wise. I mean, he almost picks him up off the ground and, like, drops him and, like, just drives him right into the ground. I mean, just another, like, you talk about the jumbo package. Yeah, another physical. that, But that that part stood out to me big time when rewatching. That last touchdown was like he absolutely it was. A, I think it was a defensive back, but just still, just like drove him right into the ground. So yeah, I thought that was interesting. And then on Samaj, real quick, because I did write about him this morning as well, and I actually openly kind of asked our users to maybe a comparison for Samaj Morgan, and I, I have counted because I couldn't. I was trying to think of the right former Michigan player in particular, maybe to to compare him to, and I, they're like nine different. <laughs> former Michigan receivers that got sure. that people were trying to compare for a while, right? You know, it was like I was like, and I, now I'm glad I asked it that way because I was like, I wasn't really sure because a lot of people said Steve Breston. I didn't really see that necessarily. We had Dennis Norfleet. If he had like a better version of Dennis Norfleet, we had one say Desmond Howard. Which let's relax here. Not Michigan comparison, but I'd say Golden Tate. Giles Jackson. I mean, like there's like so many different guys, but but same thing though is another guy who immediately stands out, right? And a guy that, yeah, I think Michigan, he he could be a guy I could see Michigan drawn up some kind of play for before the end of the season, maybe like a big, big play type play. So similar to maybe AJ Henning with the touchdown and sure. Yeah, exactly. Yes, right? exactly. Yes. Good call. Yeah. Regarding Ben Hall, not surprised to 
not surprised to hear that because I've I've stood next to Benjamin Hall. I you would have to pay me a ton of money to stand in front of him while he delivered a block. I mean, you know, you you can talk, you know, everyone has different heights, weights, whatever. There are just people who just look so much bigger than their listed height and weight, and he's one of them, man. He is just a a tank. I'm not surprised that he's a tough back to bring down, and I'm not surprised to hear that he's a he's a pretty good lead lead blocker if he needs to be as well because yeah he is a tank as as a running back and and i assume he's only going to get bigger and stronger you know with with the college weight training and everything so yeah this is often a week where freshmen can maybe start to see their role increase i might maybe i'll look back at the stats and see if that backs that up but it does i can think of a few examples over the years that it was like after the bye week suddenly a lot of true freshmen who coaches were able to get, I guess, maybe put put a little more individual attention on during the bye week. We're like, oh, no, he's ready. Let's get him with the ones and twos. That's something to keep an eye on. All right, we're going to hit a quick break. On the other side, three main questions that we're going to discuss. Who is Michigan's defensive MVP? The biggest question Michigan's defense may want to answer in the bye week. And then where does Michigan State and this rivalry go from here after? after the lo- most lopsided rendition of this game since 1947. You're listening to the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. So, Steve, I, you know, we were kind of talking before the show. Defense, we don't have a lot of takeaways. They've just looked like the best defense in the country for several weeks. It feels like they, I mean, they've, they have scored more touchdowns in Big Ten play than they have allowed. Uh, doesn't really get much better than that. And they're more than halfway through Big Ten play. So defense continues to look really good. We're not going to repeat basically what our takeaways would have been the previous four or five weeks. Instead, I wanted to have this discussion. Who is Michigan's defensive MVP right now? Because it does feel like they've had a number. It feels feels like they almost like rotate who the MVP of an individual game is. But Steve, I'm going to let you go first. Who, who jumps out to you? If you had to give the award through eight games, who would you give it to? And, and what have they done to earn that distinction? Cause it's like up front, it could be like, it, it's almost felt like a each, each game. It's been almost a different guy. So I think as far as like just the whole season goes so far, I got to go with uh, Mike Sainer still got to think he's in the, I don't know if he'd win, but he's got to be in the, uh, was the Thorpe conversation at least like, I don't know. I don't know what his advanced statistics are, but I mean, he's just played feels like at an elite level all year. Plus he's got what two is he got two of the pick sixes. He doesn't have three of them. Right. I know he's got two for sure. Yes. He has right? three interceptions. He has two touchdowns, which is tied for most in the country. Right. He actually leads the entire country in interception, interception yards. return yards, <laughs> interception return yards. <laughs> so, yeah. And I might be leaning towards him also just because of that extra leadership aspect of what he offers for the team. I mean, I know how effusive the coaches and players are of of his leadership abilities. And I mean, he was a no doubt choice for captain this season. So I think I know who you're going to say. So I'm not going to say it yet. But if if that player had played every game this season, that might have been my choice also. But I'm going to go with Mike Sainer still. I think Sainra still would be like if I had to vote, I think he would be my choice. But in terms of the other candidates, I think there's there's two different directions. So one is the don't look at the stats, just who has jumped out the most to you. And to me, that's Mason Graham. I feel like he has the most plays where I'm like, wow, you know, he should be in the NFL right now. That's the no stats, pure vibes answer is I just feel like Mason Graham makes so many wow plays and and he just looks like someone who opponents don't know how to block, if that makes any sense. Like it just like like the the combination of his strength, his hand technique or club technique now, I suppose, his tenacity. Yeah, he just he just really attacks every snap at that position. Elite, elite run stopper, really good 
pass rusher for his position, uh, probably among the the top group in the country, actually. Yeah, he's he's I don't even know what the stats are for him. That was the pure. That's the vibes one in terms of the you know, if you follow the numbers a little bit, I I think I think uh, quietly making a good case would be Michael Barrett. I think he quietly has put together a, a really impressive season, you know, whether it's the tackles, the pass rushing. I think he has a sack, right? Uh, you know, he's been really solid for a linebacker in coverage. Yeah, just feel and feel like he's made a lot of plays, even if he doesn't get the credit, like he's led to this. And, and Jalen Harrell is the other player in this group where I just feel like he's like on Chris Jenkins interception. He was the guy providing the the, the hurry. Right. It's almost like he deserves an interception assist. You know, he provided the the pressure on a on a fumble or, you know, like it just it feels like those two have been probably the most game to game consistent playmakers other than Mike Sainer still. And and again, some of it, like Rod Moore missed a few games, Will Johnson missed a few games, Mason Graham missed a couple games. There's some some players, right, they they need those final four games to for us to see if they are MVP caliber, but I think my vote would go Sainra still. I think my my vibes answer would be Mason Graham. And then I think if I were to like look at the stats and had to pick someone who wasn't those two, I, th- I think I'd go with Jalen Harrell, actually, uh, with him or Michael Barrett. Next topic. So on defense, pretty much everything's been working. You know, there's little things here and there. But, but Steve, what's something that you would be doing if you're a defensive coach for Michigan? You would be either working on or looking into during this bye week? Uh, this one feels kind of easy. I think Michigan just, and it's a, not a negative question, but I, I more of a thought is just continuing to develop the guys on the back end. They had a lot of, lot of guys play defensive back yesterday, and a lot of those second unit guys played what looked like they played really well. Amarion Walker is finally healthy. I think he played, he made a couple plays and looked, he still looks so skinny, but... Guy's just super athletic. DJ Waller looks like, was he the first corner off the bench yesterday? I almost feel like. Yeah, he was right? in really early. Like the first, like. he was in the first quarter. It was like, okay, all right. You know, McBurrows had a nice taste of success, looked like an asset, both defending the pass and defending the run. I think, didn't, I think, didn't Harbaugh say he's the backup nickel? Right now. I mean, so the, I, I just think yeah, it's the, the more. Yeah, count reflects that too. Right. Yeah. The, the more. Closer you get to the Ohio State game, you want as many reliable defensive backs as you can possibly find. And again, that's another benefit to Michigan completely blowing teams out of the water all year is the, what was it, like five minutes left in the third quarter yesterday that the second units like started to really kind of be the majority, particularly in the defensive backfield. So you know, guys are getting reps and getting legit opportunities. So it's 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 obviously something that they're making a concerted effort to do. I just think it's something you keep. It's more and more important as the season wears on, right? You want as many options at those positions as as you can find. Yeah, I that's that's a good one too because I I, I don't think the secondary has been bad. I mean, the duh, <laughs> they don't get haven't given up more than ten points all season, but it does feel like there were a few weeks there. And I'd have to, I haven't rewatched last night's game, but it did feel like there were a few weeks there where Rod Moore and Will Johnson, they they were certainly playing quality football, but it did feel like they were still trying to find what they, I mean, because boy, both of them, November, December last season, felt like they were playing at all American levels. And so, yeah, if they can get back to, to that level, and part of it is they need to face teams that will throw it to them. Right, that they have time to drop back in the pocket and and receivers that can make plays and quarterbacks who can make the throws. Feels like every team has tried to just like get the ball, get rid of the ball as soon as they can, or or kind of pick up the little chunk yardage here and there. But yeah, can can they get back to that next level? And then yeah, that depth. Can you find this year's Makari Page? Well, that's probably Keon Sab. But past couple of years, it does feel like the second half of the season, whether it's a Will Johnson or a Rod Moore or Makari Page, you know, it does feel like they have players who kind of ascend in the second half of the season and and really help them because pretty much every year for the last 10, <laughs> the last game of the year has been Michigan's toughest coverage test of the season. 
So and that, that feels like it's going to be true again this season. I think the one that I'm curious about would be, I don't think the edge rushers have been, well, they've been very good in the past rush. I feel like they've been very quality. Can you, can you find that extra gear early in the game? Cause I, you know, they still count in the second half, but I think when, when Michigan is up 28, nothing or 31, seven, or, you know, all these, when they have these giant leads, the, the pass rushing stats don't mean quite as much to me because, you know, they can just assume that it's going to be a pass almost every time because they're up by however many touchdowns. I do think like, like the edge rushers, I, I still think there's, there's too much potential in the room for one or two of them to not have a Mike Morris type transformation. I think Josiah Stewart's really close. I think he, if he comes out against Purdue and plays like he has the past couple weeks, you know, you could argue he he will have made that transformation. But yeah, him, Jalen Harrell, Derek Moore, Braden McGregor, I think there is another gear. I think there is another level. And that's that other level, we won't preview Ohio State right now. That is how that is the easiest, fastest way to beat Ohio State is get Kyle McCord under pressure. It really is. The numbers are extremely clear about that. And so yeah, if they can find I think the interior guys you know, before the season, we mentioned last year the the defensive linemen or tackles only had five sacks. They're already ahead of that. They already have seven right now, and they still have a lot of games to go. And the pressures are up. I mean, the interior pass rush has been pretty much everything that they were hoping it would be. But if those edge guys can make that that leap or that ascent to that next level, I mean, that's that suddenly makes your defense even better. That that can do what a a good edge rusher, elite edge rusher, I should say, can do to your defense what an elite quarterback can do to your offense, I feel like. And Aiden Hutchinson's a good example of that. Yeah, can can someone make that transformation? Can someone be a takeover pass rushing edge? I don't know if you're gonna figure that out in the bye week. No. Some of it's some of it the players have to figure out, but who do we think? Moore? Prop Moore probably has the highest ceiling. Right. I, Stewart, I think has the knack he kind of sure we've already compared him to josh uche like 40 times this calendar year but it does feel like he he just has like that that sense when when he when he's engaged like how do i get out of this block and when i get out of this block what what angle am i gonna take to the quarterback it does feel like he's pretty he's pretty darn close right now i mean in terms of uh, pass rushing production sure he has 78 pass rushes this season. He has 15 pressures. That's that's the best among those four edge rushers in terms of efficiency. Um, well, you I, usually want to – oh, go ahead. No, I was just – all I was going to say was, if people remember, I want to say that when Uche broke out, it was during the second half of whatever – I can't remember exactly which season he had his breakout, but like I feel like it was like it was like around this time – yeah, well, was that North, really I feel started, like it was that Northwestern yeah, I, 2018 game. Yep. That's the exact game I was thinking of. Was like was when he really sort of started to figure it out. And yeah, we've we've mentioned Stewart a few times the last couple of weeks as a guy, much like many of the transfers who are starting to play better football as the season goes on. Probably should be writing more about that. I mean, they really feels like they really are batting 700, 800 on transfers over the past couple of years. I mean, it just, and Barner was a good example of one, right? Lots of production from transfers. Yeah. I feel like Stewart is probably the closest right now, but Harold McGregor and Moore have all shown a lot of flashes. And I, 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 the only reason I'm saying this too, I, it sounds like I'm critical. I think they've done a really nice job, but when you think about what is the best version of this Michigan defense, I think there is still, room to grow, room to ascend in that edge room, uh, especially in the pass rushing setting. All right, last thing we're going to talk about. All right, last thing we're going to talk about in this episode, what is going on with Michigan State, and what does this do for the rivalry for the next couple years? Couple caveats, right? We do not cover Michigan State on a day-to-day basis. We don't know who they're going to hire as head coach, and, and they're going to hire somebody, and I guess it kind of depends on the lawsuit, but I, I assume they'll have very competitive salary for whomever they hire. But man, this this Spartan roster just looks several years away from being competitive. 
in the in the in the new Big Ten. I don't know. It's just some of it's going to depend on who they hire in the transfer. I know the transfer portal can kind of change this stuff in a hurry, but boy, oh boy, I mean, it, you know, there's 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 a beat down in a rivalry that can happen once in a while. I mean, Michigan State's done it to Michigan. Michigan's done it to Michigan State, but it's been a while since Michigan just looked that much. I mean, it it really just looked like they could have done whatever they wanted. Any play call would have worked on either side of the ball. I know, I know that Michigan's offense kind of slowed down with the backups in, but in terms of the the starting groups, I got to think Michigan State fans are as frustrated as can be because unlike in pro sports, you know, I know a lot of our listeners follow Detroit sports. At least when they're bad, you know, you know you're getting a good draft pick the following spring. Doesn't work like that in college. I mean, if you if fans check out, if donors check out, if coaches get fired, if players transfer, I mean, there's, there's, you know, it can almost be a downward spiral. Tough situation for them. I mean, one that just does not seem like it's a two or three year fix, and could be wrong. We don't, we don't know what the next couple of years look like in college football or at Michigan State. But Steve, your thoughts on, on maybe the state of this rivalry and. I mean, is this rock bottom for Michigan? It feels like it has to be rock bottom for Michigan State. Worst home loss in program history, I believe I saw. Yeah, about as agonizing from their perspective of a of a rivalry game as it could possibly be. Would you say it was the worst, most lopsided loss in the rivalry since what 1947. year? 1947. Oh, that's a couple years after. Uh, never mind. Hope people get the joke think- out there uh, about that. But anyway... Yeah. Took a sec. Took a sec. <laughs> <laughs> it is rock bottom. They didn't even show that sort of metal and fight that Michigan State has always shown in the rivalry, even if they're even if Michigan is the better team. Right? I mean, I'd say this. Michigan went I mean, down there and... was there was some fight. I mean not, not in I, between I mean, the whistles. Well, yeah, right. So I when they when Michigan went down and scored to begin the game, I mean, that was probably the earliest this season where I'm like, this game's over. Like, there's no way. Like, Michigan didn't even break a sweat moving the ball down the field. And if, if and again, there I, there was, to me, there was really no path to victory for Michigan State in this game. If it had been, it would have been their defense, like, stepping up and at least slowing Michigan down offensively. And, yeah, I mean, just it, it, kind of disappointing. I mean, never expected Michigan State to win this game, obviously, and really probably even that competitive uh but you know it's always a game you try to you circle on the calendar every year is like one of the more fun days of the football season when the when the two teams play I, yeah i don't i don't know what you know there's so many questions i still think in my opinion i think lance leopold from kansas would be the number one guy that i would target if i was them midwest guy i think michigan they need to embrace state needs to embrace like the gritty midwest type thing uh the bells and whistles of tucker was just an absolute disaster you know the portal is as is as competitive as actual recruiting now so like going portal heavy for a team that usually recruits in the middle of the pack in the big 10 i I also don't think is the most viable long-term strategy um, I think they NIL, to... NIL got real competitive too. That also, right? Because I mean, well, I mean, I'll be, I'll be frank with you. I mean, they definitely were one of those teams. I think that that tried to, I think they shot a little above their or tried to shoot a little above their level in that regard with some of the elite guys they've been trying to recruit the last couple cycles. Guys that I, I well, just call it what it is. I, I feel like Michigan State in, in, in at least a handful of recruiting races was almost like used to up the bidding uh, from some other programs. I mean, they, they would be consistently mentioned with these elite guys, and then they would just sort of disappear at the end uh, when recruiting against schools like Miami and Texas A&M and I think Oklahoma in there too. So, you know, if I, I believe they need to, they need to sort of take the same, I think at least from a foundational standpoint, sort of the same idea as what D'Antonio brought. I mean, they need to recruit, they're the Midwest really, really, really hard, and they need to hit home runs. They're kind of one of those mid in the new Big Ten. They'll be one of those middle of the pack programs that'll need to hit a home run at quarterback and then recruit a very gritty defense 
to compete. So yeah, I mean, Leopold's won everywhere he's gone. He's like I said, he's a Midwest guy. That's me personally. That's the guy I would go for. A lot of people talk about like uh, Dickert at Washington State. I'm just not sure the Pac-12 style of football is going to win big in November, which is one reason why I'm very interested to see how Oregon, USC, and Washington actually fare coming out of the gates in the Big Ten. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's definitely got to be rock bottom for them, though. Like I said, I just can't even imagine, you know, being a diehard right now over there, you know, and, and it's just, yeah, they, they do feel like they're a ways away from competing because the roster, you could argue right now, by the time D'Antonio left, their roster was pretty depleted. I mean, and then they had all that turnover. You could argue it's even in worse shape now than it was when D'Antonio left. It looks that way. Right? I mean, I, I just, who, you know, I'm trying to, I'm legitimately wondering right now on their roster, at least of the guys who played yesterday, is Malik Carr in the NFL? Like, I'm just like trying to think of who on that team right now is a, a bona fide NFL prospect. Maybe do they have a couple guys up front? Maybe I think their D line's not bad, but which is crazy because for a good stretch there, they were putting out a bunch of guys in the pros, like a very impressive NFL resume. Yeah, it, it, it's easy time for Michigan fans to crow for sure. Uh, it's just like, but yeah, like you said, you see the Big Ten expanding, and it's like, I think some of the, yeah, I think a lot of these teams that are already in the Big Ten are going to really, really need to embrace that more Big Ten mentality to to compete. You know, I think they, I do, I think you throw Michigan State in with like, like an Iowa, Nebraska, Illinois type Minnesota, deal. Minnesota, yeah. you know, where it's like, it's just like, yeah, it's going to be really fascinating to see, you know, if any of those schools can kind of rise up, you know, can kind of rise above and maybe enter, you know, is there room for one of those schools if they figure it out or make the right hire or have the right star players, if if they can make that leap into that, what we assume will be that top tier of Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State, USC, Oregon. Want to see Washington sustain their success a little bit longer uh, before I would immediately throw them in that tier one, but they're still probably, I would put Washington like in the same tier as like Wisconsin, like just below that top tier, um, you know, so be very interesting to see. I, I do. I think Michigan state's in that third group of schools that is really going to need to hit, obviously hit a home run at the coaching spot, obviously, but then also they're going to need, it's just going to be more than that though. You can't just hire a good coach and expect, I mean, they're going to have to turn over the roster again and hope they hit some real home runs at some, at some major positions. I do think fit is a really important characteristic for whoever they hire. Sometimes fit is like used as a, like a backhanded compliment, meaning like you didn't get the, the most highly regarded guy, but, but at the same time that none of that matters. What matters is can you build a roster year over year that, punches above its recruiting class because most likely you're never going to out recruit Ohio state, USC, Michigan, Penn state, Oregon. You need to find a way to win games. You don't need to necessarily do every arms race with every other program in the big 10, because the big 10, I mean, it's going to be hard for everybody. There's going to be a lot of really good programs that go five, 10, 10, 15, maybe even 20 years without a Big Ten title just because there's 18 teams now. There's probably eight teams that whose expectations every single year are to win a conference title, seven or eight maybe. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be hard for everybody, and I, I do feel like Michigan State is in. In some ways, the timing is, is good because there's a 12-team playoff. I think with the more competitive Big Ten, with the 12-team playoff, you don't necessarily need to – your season's not over after two – losses necessarily but at the same time yeah it's 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 a very very important hire for Michigan State maybe the I don't know I don't want to be too hyperbolic but yeah just it just feels like with with the Big Ten about to get really tough college football really I mean just really changing annually and there's there's money they, they, you know, money should not be an issue for Michigan State from a Big Ten perspective, from a donor perspective, if if the right fit is there. But yeah, just a very important hire, very important hire because that did not look like a team that is anywhere close to competing with 
any of the top Big Ten teams. Not hey, this one, other, one other oh, thing. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Wanted your opinion on this before we were done. I think uh, Brown for Michigan State should be suspended for multiple games, possibly. Do you agree, or am I over? Am I over bored with that? Did you see the, the head, replay? The on the, on, on did McGregor. you see the replay? It's not good. Yeah, I, I do. That is one of the cheapest shots I can remember. Like he seriously could have injured him like badly with that play. Like, and it um, wasn't I mean, it was, like uh, it wasn't even like you know. I don't know. I, it wasn't like a bush league shot. You know what I mean? Like, like the little, like sneak it in there. Oh yeah. Like, no, this was you know, like, like, yeah, this was like, I'm going to, I, had to I go don't back know and enough look. about suspensions. I don't know enough about that. True, but actually, true. actually I will say this in hockey, they suspend you for a lot less. Sure. In big 10 hockey, I get the news releases every week, such and such players suspended for a helmet to helmet hit. They will suspend for a lot less. So, so you're right. You're right. I, was, I I was it, it wasn't of, something that even crossed my mind because I was so focused on on the Michigan side of things in the game right, and Michigan right. won by so much and that but that is a good point just because Michigan it didn't have an impact on the game and just because Michigan didn't like start a fight from it because I don't know <laughs> I think everyone who's played football it's like yeah that that probably could have started a fight but that doesn't mean that it was more accepted or more tolerated so absolutely right right fair, fair I, thing to bring up i don't know enough about suspensions but sure. you're right in I, hockey they suspend for a lot less in basketball i think they suspend for a lot less i had to i had to think because i know i believe uh you know so mcgregor went to port here on northern because if you watch if you watch it play out it's clear that the two of them maybe they've been going back and forth throughout the game you know maybe they just been, it had been pretty physical between the two of them i wondered if they had like played in high school or something because just because it seemed like, yeah, it was just a little, little extra. Uh, even before that, you know, it was like a scuffle. I think it was on the, the interception. It was on the interception return. You know, a little bit of extra stuff. And then, I mean, and it was just a straight dive, like dive headbutt. You know, it look, looked like a wrestling move, except not fake. Like a pro wrestling move that wasn't fake uh, with a helmet on. I just, I, I'm just curious. I'm just really curious to see if anything comes out of that. Because, yeah, totally way the game was played, like none of that should matter at all. I mean, that could have been after the, you know, when the clock hits zero. I mean, it doesn't matter at all. It, it's a, an egregious play. The fact that he was immediately ejected, I think, does lend itself to the possible. Like, it wasn't even like, a, what are they, don't they usually give a unsportsmanlike conduct thing? They get get a warning or you get your first. Because um, I guess they, because they didn't call it targeting. Yeah, they called it a, like a flagrant foul. Yeah, which I don't ever remember. I, I don't remember the last time I heard like the way it was called, I don't remember hearing that. In a, or I well, it shouldn't it in a be targeting time. just for, right. for my opinion. Cause like targeting needs to be a separate, like in game in play thing. Like that's, that's a different situation. That's, I don't know. Right. There's, no, that wasn't even close to the play. It was, no, had nothing, it was yeah. not a football play. Yeah. I just, yeah, I just, I think that should be a suspension. I just, that was one of the, thankfully, I guess you don't really see many plays like that in games. Uh, but when uh, when you do, I mean, it's just man, God, like he seriously could have hurt him. Like the that's one of those. Like I, when I watched the replay a few times, I think it almost got. It was a little more like you're just kind of like, oh crap, like that could have been really bad. So yeah, good. Glad that McGregor was able to pop right back. You know, it didn't seem to have, have injured him at all. So you know, that's good. But yeah, I mean, you got to. There's got to be some kind of punishment for something like that. So one of those Ray things. Oh, one of yeah, those things. Ahead. Sorry, one of those things that. That's something that would probably not happen in any other game. It would be a Michigan State, Michigan thing, hundred percent. Why we talked talk about it being the pettiest rivalry uh, in college football. I think that's another example. It's like I don't. I, I again, there's been some plays, but I just I don't think you'd see that in a Michigan Ohio State game. I honestly, don't. Somebody out there could could disagree easily, I guess. But I just feel like that's that's something you'd see only in this game. So. Well, and and you're right. I I don't know much about Mr. Brown's background, but I know McGregor. He cares a lot about this rivalry. I mean, I've heard him in interviews. He ta- he he fondly recalls. You know, there's a lot of playground beef when he was growing up because Port Huron. It's probably a little bit more Michigan State, but there's plenty of Michigan too. And he would always wear his Michigan colors for for you know this week. So he's he was fired up for this game. I, I have no doubt he was you know talking plenty of smack and mixing it up but at the same time like that's just not even a football play like there wasn't even like a, a modicum of discretion or like i think about like the basketball players like like you know sometimes like they sneak a 
kick or a trip in or you know just little little cheap shots here and there like it was it was just a pretty blatant you know attack I guess is is the I don't I don't mean to laugh at it just kind of chuckling it from a football perspective like how dumb can you be (laughs) that's like the easiest ejection you'll ever see yeah they didn't even have to think twice about it or no debate it was just no you're, you're gone anyway until next year you know, Michigan and Michigan fans have plenty of bragging rights and they're on to their future goals. I guess the next one on the schedule is is Penn State, probably. I know it's not a rivalry, but it, but just because both teams are going to be pretty good. I think Cornelius Johnson might have coined this, the, the, the states. You know, their regular season goal is to beat all the states, Michigan State, Penn State, Ohio State. So, yeah, that's that'll be next. But for now, they have a bye week and then they'll have Purdue. Be sure to check out all of our stories about the bye week, what's next, where this Michigan football team stands. I think all of us over at the MichiganInsider.com, Michigan.247sports.com have provided our takeaways or our opinions from this game, as well as Alejandro and I were on the scene. So we got to get talk to players and, and Jim Harbaugh, get, get the story of a number of things. So be sure to check out all of that at the MichiganInsider.com, Michigan.247sports.com. For Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. We'll see you next time.